sound booth, if you could go ahead and get that uh, slides ready for me from last week, the uh, Return of Christ series there in the uh, sound booth under my name. And then I'll, I'll need that clicker too, I believe. I'll need that as well. Uh, let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Again, we're dealing with the return of Christ. And last week, of course, we did a uh, kind of an introductory type message that would set the stage as we consider the rapture, the revelation, and the reign of Christ. And so we're going to go ahead and consider the rapture today. We're going to look at that, all right? And it's a catching away. You'll not find a rapture in the Bible, but it is a word that describes what's going to transpire and take place as far as you and I, the believers in Christ, uh, are concerned. Thank you, brother. All right, we'll go ahead and do that for now. 
All right, very good. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Again, we're so glad to have you with us today. The Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Last week, of course, we began our series, and we started with our simple uh, slide, and we noted that the prophets uh, uh, on this side of Calvary were looking toward the future, and God had revealed so many things to them, and yet there were some valleys along the way that they could not see. There were some things that they did not uh, distinguish along the way. Well, of course, they saw Calvary. They saw the first coming of Christ, and they ultimately saw the second coming of Christ. However, they missed the church in the middle there. And ultimately, they saw the reign of Christ. But everything kind of come together, kind of fit together, mushed together. We said it was kind of like different peaks on one separate mountain. But in reality, there were different mountain peaks along the way. And because of their perspective, they missed some of that. They could not see some of it. So what we are today and what we do today in our church age in which we live, that was something that kind of was overlooked by the prophets. Not because God wasn't concerned about us, not because he didn't care about us, but because just in prophecy, it kind of blended in. It was lost in the midst of that as they looked out over time. That was something that took place after Uh, you know, the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they just kind of missed it, if you will. Now, again, it doesn't make them bad, doesn't make them wrong. It's just what they could see, what they could understand. And as we said, they weren't always privy to what they were writing. They were simply just saying what God said to say and and writing down what God said to write down. And so they were fine. They're doing exactly what they were supposed to do. So anyway, we saw that along the way. Now, as we get into our series here, our goal is to kind of touch on a couple of basic and very fundamental doctrines and truths. We, we note Calvary here, of course, in the church in which now we, we are, the dispensation in which we are. Uh, boy, aren't you glad for salvation by grace through faith, amen? Yeah. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, as children of God, we're part of the, the family of God, and we're part of the body of Christ, and so we're part of this church age, if you will. Now, again, this has been going on for a couple of thousand years, and uh, all of a sudden, the next big event on the calendar is the rapture of the church, where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, but he doesn't come all the way down to the earth, and he takes us out. Now, again, our series is on the rapture, on the, the, the revelation, which is the second coming of Christ. And again, understand that both of these are the second coming of Christ. They're two events, uh, two, two separate, distinct parts of one event, I should say. And so we have the rapture of the church. We have the revelation where Christ literally comes this time down to the Mount of Olives and ultimately establishes his throne uh, there in Jerusalem on the throne of David, rules and reigns. And uh, so those are the topics. Those are what we're going to be dealing with along the way now. So, again, as we move forward, we'll, we'll take maybe a look at one other slide here along the way today. But this is where we're at. We're talking about this event today right here, the rapture. It'll follow the church age, okay? So we have the cross of Christ. We have the church age. The next event is the rapture. Then we have the tribulation period. And then we have 
the second coming or the, the revelation, the second portion of the second coming right here. Son of righteousness comes with healing in his wings. It's going to be a wonderful time, okay? So anyway, we, we note all of those things. And that's what we want you to see so you understand the time frame. You understand where we're at. The next big event is the rapture of the church, the catching away, the taking out of this world of those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in this particular passage in the book of Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church, the church at Thessalonica. And, of course, a church is, is biblically and historically comprised of believers. Now, we know that there are, from time to time there are tares that get in amongst the, 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 the church, okay? The body, the called-out assembly. And, again, we're talking about local independent churches here. We're talking about places where we meet, just like this, where people are called out of the world through salvation by Christ, and they're brought into this place to serve and to, to love and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so even amongst this crowd today, uh, and again, I hope this isn't the case, but there's a potential that there are some tares in the crowd. There are those that are here, but they're not necessarily of us. And what I mean by that is, they, in order to, truly, the church is comprised of believers, those that have put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so when you say, I want to be a member of this church, what you're really saying is, I've already put my personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've been scripturally baptized the way the Bible says to be baptized, fully submerged, brought forth out. And, I, and, and as a result of that, I, I want to be a part of this body, called out assembly. So those are requirements to be part of the membership of Community Baptist Temple. You have to be scripturally saved, scripturally baptized, and added unto them us, the church. Now, again, somebody might be here pretending to be saved that's not saved. They may be part of the, quote, membership of this church, visible church, but they're not part of God's family yet. Okay, th those would be considered tares. Now, I I I'm, I'm assuming that everybody that said they're saved would never lie about it, and, and the best they know how, they, they are saved, and they're they're, they're a member of our church because of their faith in Christ, because of their scriptural baptism, and their desire to be a part of this local assembly to, to worship and to serve the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Now, that's who Paul's talking to, the, the church at Thessalonica, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And so as he approaches them and he deals with them, he talks to them as though they are already saved, they're already on their way to heaven, and now he's instructing them and encouraging them in the things of the Word of God. Now, we're going to see here in our passage is a couple of things we learn about this so-called event, the event we call the rapture, or this catching away. Remember, Jesus Christ is only going to come so far. He's going to come down into the clouds, and then he's going to come and catch us up, and uh, we're going to be with him, the Bible says. And so let's see what we learn from this particular passage as we note some details. First of all, we note verse 13 in this passage. We see the concern. He says, I would not have you be ignorant, to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about these realities, this reality of the catching away, this reality of the rapture. See, God wants you to understand that on the timeline of history, it's the next event to take place. God wants you to know that he's coming back again. He wants you to realize he's not left you here alone to dwell on yourself. Yes, you're, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, without doubt, if you're a child of God today. But also, he wants you to know, I'm coming back for you. And so he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He didn't say stupid. There's a difference between stupidity and ignorance. Stupidity is just down here. Duh, duh, duh. Okay, that would be stupid. Ignorance is, I don't know. I mean, you could be, you could be a rocket scientist. You could be an MD. You could be a DR, doctor. You could be a lot of things. But the fact is you could be ignorant of this reality and this fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he says, I don't want anybody to be ignorant of that. 
I don't want anybody not to know. And so I'm telling you the church because you have this great hope, this blessed hope, and I want you to know about it because it's a wonderful hope. And boy, we need hope. Amen. The concern, the concept in verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we're going to live again also. That's the concept. Hey, listen, he died, was buried, and he what? Rose again. Man, that's the difference between our Savior and all the other Savior's supposed so-called saviors. Man, Jesus lives today. He's not dead. He's alive today. And though the fact is, is because the idea is, is that Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ rose again. Therefore, you too will rise again too. There's a wonderful truth. We see the concern, the concept. Notice the confidence. He goes, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Do you know that all confidence that a believer has comes from this book right here? Do you realize that it doesn't matter how well-schooled or versed you are in, in philosophy or, or sociology or some other ology in the world study of? The fact is, is that the Word of God is our hope. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is where we find every bit of confidence that we have. And we can put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because of that book. We can put our trust in Christ because of the Word of God. I tell people and just the other day, a privilege to lead a few folks to Christ. And I remember telling the one lady, I said, listen. You need to understand something, that not only do you have God's word on it, you got it in writing. You got it in writing. Man, isn't that wonderful? Man, every time you start to doubt what God has done for you, then you just go to the word of God, you dig into it a little bit, and you go, man, not only do I know that truth from my head and have I heard it, but now I see it for myself. It's not only a truth, it's written, it's in writing. Right there it is. Man, I'll tell you what, what confidence that brings. And that's where the confidence comes. Jesus is coming back. Why do I believe that today? Well, because I can look through a telescope and I can see a gleaming light up there. It's getting closer to the earth. No, that's not why. It's because some archaeologists may have, you know, found the walls of Jericho and they did fall flat as God said they did. No, that's not really why I have great confidence. You know why I have great confidence? Because God's word says it. I've got God's word on it. Verse 16, we see not only the concern, the concept, the confidence, but the cry. Verse 16, notice this cry. He says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Isn't that good? I mean, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Can you imagine that? Be walking along one day, you hear this, hum, hum. You say, that's not how it's going to happen. I don't know, but I'd like to believe something like that. And the fact is, is that all I know is there's going to be a trumpet involved. There's going to be a voice involved. And all I know is I'm going to be gone. I was taking a walk this morning, and I said to the Lord today, I said, Lord, I, would, I wish you'd just come before I die. I'd like you to come before I die, Lord. I don't want to even have to worry about that thing. You say, that's crazy. What do you mean it's crazy? That's the blessed hope. I'll never have to die. I, I know I'm not going to die spiritually, but I don't even want to die physically. Wouldn't that be great? Be preaching there and be like, I give up! It's a right up there, you know? Wouldn't that be great? And then you guys could see me go. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You guys would go too, I'm sure. I better watch that one, huh? We see the concern, the concept, the confidence, the cry, but also we see the crowd. In verse 16 and 17, the crowd. The Bible says, the dead in Christ. 
then we which are alive and remain. See, the dead in Christ are going to go before. See, we're not going to prevent them. We're not going before them. When the word says prevent, it means us going before. So see, the dead, those that have already died in Christ, those that are already in the grave, so to speak, they're coming out to meet the Lord. They're going to body, soul, boom, together. Us, boom, there we are with them. Man, it'll be like we'll be holding on to their coattails as they go. They're going first, and we're going to, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. See, we which are alive and remain should be caught up together. I want to be the second group going there. See, I, I, I'd like to avoid that part of it. But let me tell you something. It, either way, God wants it's his business, right? That's his business. But either way, we're going. Because when that trumpet sounds and that voice is heard, man, I'll tell you, we're gone. And so we've got that crowd that we're going to be meeting up in that air, in the air with, with the Lord. And you know what? And I, I'm excited. Listen, you, you, you do what you want to do. But let me tell you something. I, I, I look forward... To seeing family and friends, yes. But there's nobody I want to see more than him. Nobody. Man, the thought of what he's done for me. Man, I love my wife and my kids and I love my family. I can't tell you what they mean to me, but nobody means what he does. There's no eternal life. There's no, there's no heaven. There's no nothing without him. And one day I'll be with my friends and my family and the Lord Jesus Christ all because of him. Boy, I'll tell you what, what a wonderful truth, that crowd. But also the cloud, verse 17, it says, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, see, again, the second coming is in two stages, okay? As we noted, we're talking about the rapture today. In this particular case, we're caught up in the clouds. He doesn't actually come down to the earth. He doesn't establish his kingdom. He doesn't rule and reign on the throne of David at this point. At this point, he's coming to get you and I, those who have put their personal faith and trust in him. And so he comes down into the clouds and we meet him in the air. We meet him in the air. That's where we meet him. He comes in the cloud. Boom, we meet him in the air. He doesn't come to the earth and take us up. He stops here and we meet him. The rapture. And we see the cloud there. And one day in that cloud, he's going to come to the earth. We know that. That's seven or so years, seven years later, if the tribulation kicks off immediately after we're taken out. Somebody says, well, won't it? I don't know. 100%. I can't, I'm not going to say that. I, I certainly won't be here to tell you about it. Uh, but so I, won't, I don't really care, to be honest with you. All I know is when that tribulation kicks off, it'll be seven years because the Bible says it. And what do we have? Confidence because of it right here. Amen. Now, we have comfort, verse 18. Notice the comfort now. We've seen the concern, the concept, the confidence, the cry, the crowd, the cloud. Notice the comfort. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you realize what the early church was going through? Can we, I mean, if we could only wrap our mind around persecution as they understood persecution, if we could only for just a moment embrace what it meant to lose family and friends, to opposition, to literally be beaten for our faith, to, to possibly even lose our lives, and then to be told that, hey, guess what? He's coming again. Hey, guess what? He's going to return. Man, I want you to understand all those family and friends that have been lost in the midst of this battle that you face and that you fight every day of your life. I want you to know you're going to see them again. I want you to know you're going to be reconciled and, and you're going to be reunited again with them. And you're going to see your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He hasn't left you alone in this world to suffer and to, to, to serve Satan. No, he's left you here to serve him and to love him. And he's coming back for you because he cares. Amen. And I'll tell you what, what a wonderful truth. We're so happy, so grateful for the return of the Lord Jesus. The rapture of the church, the catching away of the body of Christ, the body of believers, right here we are. And you know, there are a number of other local independent bodies as well. And they're going too. 
They may not look like us. They may not always act like us. They may not always do like us. But if they've got Christ in their heart, they're going with us. Amen. Now, we're going to see here in just a few moments a few other places that we talk about this. And then we'll talk of, uh, just kind of bring out a few other truths. So let's have a very quick word of prayer, all right, before as we get into things. Father, bless us now in these next few moments. We need you, Lord Jesus. Father, I have nothing to offer your people. Holy Spirit of God, I beg you, being the vine, may you just fill me now. Oh, God, help me, Father. Just a feeble old branch. God, may you just enable me now, Father, to be a blessing. And Lord, put your words in my mouth. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. And Lord, may you anoint every listening ear. May we be encouraged and uplifted today as we leave, having great hope because of the confidence we have in you and your word. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We're given another view of this particular event by the Apostle John. He's exiled, if you will, to Isle of Patmos, and the Bible tells us that he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, if you would, please turn there. Look at verses 1 and 2. Again, you're going to note some extreme uh, similarities here. Now, John is representative of the church, and as you, you look at uh, his life, he represents the church, and now we're going to see something taking place here in the book of Revelation. We know that chapters 2 and 3 are representative of the church age in which we live. And then we see chapter 4, the uh, uh, Apostle John now, he's going to have something take place that's pretty interesting. Uh, and, and we see so many similarities here. Notice what it says. After this, verse 1, I looked, and behold, after what? After he had already discussed those seven churches of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, that are indicative and representative of the church age, he goes on to say, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. Do I believe those were literal churches? Without a doubt. But do I also believe that God is using them as a picture of the church age? Yes, indeed. And so now, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. Heaven has doors. Someone says, oh, how do you get there? You've got to go through a door. It's, it's got doors. Just, it just said that. The door was opened. It's a literal place. It's, 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 got, it's got substance. It's a literal place. You're not going to be Casper the friendly ghost. It's a literal place. Isn't that interesting? I like that it's a literal place. You know, you know Jesus, when he was on earth, before he uh, ascended to be with the Lord, uh, with God on hev in heaven, he, he ate some fish in his new body. Now, now, he was able to, to show up in a room. Now you see me? Now you don't. Now you see me? Now you don't. How do you do that? He's got that new body. It's adapted not only to the physical, but it's adapted to the spiritual. A wonderful body. And you'll have that same body, according to Philippians. Now, now here, we have, here we have this situation. He says, and uh, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. Isn't that interesting? Didn't we just read about a trumpet sounding? Now we have this apostle John who's indicative and representative of the church and now a door's opened in heaven and boom, he hears a voice like as it were a trumpet talking with him that said, come up hither. Wow. I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Now he's going to go on now in chapter four right on through and he's going to begin to tell us what he sees. What's he going to see? He's going to see the tribulation period. He's going to begin to share with us what's going to transpire after the rapture of the church. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? 
Oh, wait, 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 John's not. John, are you down there involved in that mess? No, I'm in heaven. Hey, John, what'd you hear? A trumpet. And it said, come up hither. Guess what? I'm going to hear a trumpet and I'm going to go up hither too. And then all that mess takes place down here. I want nothing to do with it. Every time I read through the book of Revelation, I have to thank the Lord. I'm not there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, there's some people like to tell you you're going to go halfway through. Some people are going to tell you you're going to get taken out at the very end. There might be a few Jews get taken out at the very end, but not this Gentile believer. Not me, buddy. I'm gone. I'm like Enoch. Before that flood comes, I'm out of here. Now, the Apostle Paul, he addresses this issue in the book of 1 Corinthians as well. Take your Bible this time. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's right before 2 Corinthians. Some of you look like you need a little help. I thought I'd help you out with that. 1 Corinthians, yes. Okay, chapter 15, look at verse 15, 51, excuse me. <laughs> chapter 15, verse 51, 1 Corinthians. He says, Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, again, there's an interesting word there, sleep, because if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 again, verse 13 through 18, you're, they're, they're asleep. Those that have gone before us are asleep. He doesn't say they're dead. They're asleep. And now in this particular case, he uses that same word, and he's dealing with the same event, and he says, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. What's he saying? We're not all going to die. Physically, that is. And nor spiritually, obviously, if you're saved. But we're not all going to sleep. But we shall all be changed. Notice, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last, there's that trump again. See that? Trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Isn't that wonderful? That's good stuff, isn't it? Again, we see the rapture of the church. We're being taken out. We're not going to be left behind. We're not going to be left here on earth. We're going to be gone. We're taken. Another passage that sheds invaluable light on this particular subject is a passage in the book of Matthew. Now, remember I told you, take your Bible and turn to Matthew 24. Remember I told you as the, as the uh, prophets looked out over time, there were certain things they did not see. There were valleys like the church age. And really even that 1,000 years in the millennium sometimes gets a little bit tricky too because they see it all as God setting up his kingdom, ruling and reigning. Boom, there it is. New heaven, new earth, right there on the horizon. Well, that's a little bit out there. It's 1,000 years before the new heaven, new earth. And it was a, a couple thousand years now since the, the return of Christ, the second coming from the first coming. They kind of saw it all together. Well, because of that, sometimes the prophecies uh, find themselves, you know, about the first and second coming, you know, they're very distinguishable. We know the first coming, easy to understand. Second coming gets a little bit more muddied because you have the rapture and you have the revelation. They're all two parts of one event. And so as a result of that, sometimes, in many cases at least, the verses that are used can be interchanged. They can be used together a little bit. Now, again, you have to keep them in context, obviously. Matthew chapter 24 is set right in the tribulation period. We're not going to argue that. It's, it's, it's getting ready for the tribulation. Ultimately, the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 24 that you must endure to the end to be saved. We know that we don't have to endure to the end. We're already saved by grace through faith. We understand that. So, so when we look at it on the timeline and we rightly divide the word of God, we know that Matthew 24 lands us in that tribulation period time. Okay? But... Notice what's going to happen here in chapter 24. Remember the twinkling of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, twinkling of an eye, 
Watch this. Because I've got to believe that this passage definitely applies to, in some sense to the rapture as well as the revelation. Watch how it, it words it. It says, verse 36, Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now listen, I, again, someone says, well, that, that, that's doctrinally in chapter 24, Matthew. That means it puts it in that tribulation period. That could be blah, 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 blah. I know, but let me tell you this. I, I see too many similarities there not to be able to read that and glean something from it. I mean, we've got a Lord that's going to come back and in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be gone. Guess what? There's going to be two people walking together. It could be a husband and wife, sadly enough. One will be taken, the other will be left. There'll be a sister and a brother walking together. One will be taken, the other will be left. There could be a bunch of friends together, maybe playing ball. A couple will be taken, a couple will be left. I mean, that's indicative. That's what we see here. In this particular passage, we note a couple things. Number one, the schedule. Verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. Nobody knows when that's going to come, when that day will come, when that hour will come. We don't know that at this point. You know, there's always been people trying to predict the coming of Christ. You know, back in the early 1900s, there were groups that said, oh, boy, he's coming back. Well, we've got to get ready. And there were some that ran off to the mountaintops. And, boy, they just, took, they just went on up there, left their goods behind, and they were, come on back, Jesus. Man, I appreciate their zeal, but it was a zeal without knowledge. The fact is today is that none of us know when he's coming back for sure. Oh, we can look at the signs and the seasons and we can look around and say, man, we are drawing nigh. But we don't know exactly when he'll come. So we see the schedule. I guess it's not been revealed. Of that day and hour knoweth no man. Somebody that tells you they know when Jesus is returning, I'm about sick and tired of hearing some of this prophecy stuff where they're setting dates for the return of Christ and all that stuff. And people come, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? Have you heard? Have you heard? Oh, I don't have to hear. I know what the Bible says. Amen. It's like Y2K back in the year 2000. Oh, Jesus is coming back. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. You getting a generator preacher? Yeah, not what? I said, listen, everything will be fine. I preached a message on Y2K. I told everybody, don't worry about it. It'll be perfectly fine. Guess what? It came and went and it was perfectly fine. You want to know why? Because I know God's going to take care of His. I don't know, you know, well, over there in the Middle East, it's a, it's a powder keg. It's a powder keg. Yeah, it's a powder keg, and it's always been a powder keg, and it will continue to be a powder keg. Amen. But let me tell you something. When that all blows up, it'll be when I'm coming back, not when I, before I leave. Right. You get that? You understand what I'm saying? On the timeline, did you see what happens to the return of Christ? You know what takes place to the return of Christ? Armageddon. What's everybody talking? Armageddon's coming. They're setting up for Armageddon right now. Well, guess what? If it takes place, God lied to me because I won't be here. I'll be coming back when that happens. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trusting this book, the Word of God. Amen. The schedule. We just don't know when he's coming back, but he's coming. The setting, verse 37 through 39. This gets a little bit tricky sometimes. People have a tendency to read into this maybe, maybe more than they should. I don't know that they do, but I sometimes feel like they do. They like to use it for their own advantage. But it says, but as the days of Noah were, so were also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage 
until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. <clears throat> you know what I see in there? And let me just give it to you as simple as I can. Three words. Business as usual. Business as usual. Well, there's going to be an increase in divorce. Where do you get that? Marrying and giving in marriage. Well, we've been marrying and giving in marriage since, since history. I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to down. I mean, if some preacher told you, that's fine. That's fine. I understand that. But wait a second. It doesn't matter if we're, we're having multiple marriages and if people are getting divorced all the time and remarrying. That, you know what? God doesn't set his timetable on us anyway. He's just saying it's going to be business as usual. Life goes on. People are going to get married. Some people are, are, going to, are, are going to live in sin. Others are going to try to live for me. I mean, it's just business as usual. Man, money's important. Life's important. Family's important. They've taken their eyes off the sky, and all they can see is themselves and that which is theirs. And life will be just moving along like normal, just like in Noah's day. Oh, you're crazy, Noah. You're telling me there's going to be a flood? You're a nutcase. You're a loony bin. You're out of your mind. Are you kidding me? Look, the sun still came up this morning. And he goes, I'm just telling you. What God told me, it's going to rain. Yeah, whatever. I've got to go take care of some business. I've got some fields to take care of. I've got to raise some kids. I've got to handle, uh, raise, uh, have a marriage. I've got to take care of this. I don't have time to look for his coming. Business as usual. That's what's going to be taking place. And guess what? We live in a world where it's business as usual, if you ask me. It seems to me you go knock on a door and you talk to a lot of people. Oh, you know, I just, you know... We have our own religion. We have our own faith. We have our own beliefs. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Good with what? What do you, what do you mean you're good? First of all, the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. So that just ended that one right there. So what are we going with this? Well, what they're saying is it's just business as usual. Don't bother me with that stuff. I've got other concerns that are much bigger than that. And again, I'm not mad at nobody. I understand they don't realize what's going on. I understand they're ignorant. Doesn't mean they're listen. Those those aren't stupid people. They're smart people. The problem is they're not. They don't know what the Bible teaches and what it says. Therefore, to them, it's just business as usual. And that's exactly the setting of the return of Christ. Business as usual. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be surprised. That's the next point. Verse 40 and 41. The surprise. They're going to be totally shocked and surprised when he finally comes back. Let me tell you something. There were a lot of people that were shocked when, the, when that rain started pouring in Noah's day. There's going to be a lot of people shocked when he returns and that trumpet sounds and they're left behind. <clears throat> the schedule, the setting, the surprise, finally the suggestion in the passage. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. The Lord says, let me, let, me, let me make a good suggestion here. Keep your eyes on the sky. Keep looking. I'm coming back. Don't forget about me. That's what he's saying. Well, I'll tell you what. We've got to be careful of that. So we see the details of this return. And <clears throat> let's see which part we're going to have to skip here. Let's, let's go right to the next one, the duty. The duty. Let me show you this real quick here. Again, talk about the duty. Where'd it go? Oh, I'll, I'll find it. Oh, it's that one. There it is. Yeah, that one. Okay? You will notice we talked about the Apostle Paul. And last week we, we addressed this issue of Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. 
Now, I'm going to go ahead and read it, but we're going to notice that Paul, he, he kind of, he saw it the way it was supposed to be. He put it in proper perspective. He had the advantage of, of you know, being able to look back and see what had been written and also what Christ had written presently. He had both old and new, if you know what I'm saying. So he had an advantage, but he puts it all together. We see the first coming listed in verse 11. We see what we're to do between the comings, verse 12, and we note the second coming broke down 13 A and B. And so what we find here is simply this. When the Apostle Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, Titus chapter 2, 11, we see the first coming. At that point, the grace of God, he had been revealed. I mean, he brought salvation and appeared to all. Jesus is salvation. Salvation is not a plan. Salvation is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with learning a plan so you can present him more effectively. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, but he, the, the plan itself is not the way to heaven. The person, Jesus Christ, is the way to heaven. So in verse 11, we see, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God's grace through faith. Here now you and I have opportunity to be saved because of him, Jesus Christ. Now here it is, verse 12. This is where it ends up now. And this is where we find our duty as believers. We see here in verse 12, the Bible says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There it is. There it is. That's our responsibility today. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Because Jesus Christ came, because Jesus Christ saved us, now, as a result of that, we ought to live a certain way. We have a responsibility. We have a duty, if you will, as a result of what Christ has done for us. Now, again, you have to always remember, always, that we do not earn favor with God. It's already something God's given us through grace and by grace. So I know I am, I am what God wants me to be. I understand my sin is forgiven, past, present, future. I realize that no matter how much I serve him, I'm really not, in a sense, kind of adding to kudos, so to speak. Oh, my rewards are increasing. But I'm accepted in the beloved, not because I give him anything. He don't need anything I've got. I'm accepted because of him, Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, he sees me through the blood of his son. When God sees me, he sees Jesus Christ. I'm in Christ, therefore he never sees me personally. He sees his son. So I know what I am. I'm in Christ. Someone says, I'm, a, I'm nothing. I'm no one. I'm, oh, that's right. That's right. You're nothing and you're no one. Even though Jesus Christ died for you on Calvary, even though God created you, you're nothing and you're a nobody. Even though God was willing to let his son suffer, bleed, and die just for you, just for you, but you'll sit there and say, I'm nothing. Guess what? You are something to God. You're very valuable to God, so much so that he was willing to die on Calvary for your sin to save you. And the fact is that as you being in Christ, when he sees you, he sees you as somebody pretty special. He sees you as his son. That's pretty good. I don't know about you, but that gets me pretty excited that when God sees me, he sees me as his son. But as, many as believed, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Wasn't that wonderful? Hey, I, I'm, just, I'm just a waste of time. You need to start living like the son you are. That's the key. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto Christ. But a, a, a dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Christ. And that's awesome. Now, the duty... So what are we to do? We're to live for Christ. If we could just basically break it down, we're going to see we should live for Christ. See, our responsibility is expressed in verse 12. The bottom line is, is that 
holy living apart from this world is what we ought to be striving for. I mean, our responsibility is expressed. He says it right in the passage. Again, let me just look at it right here. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What's he saying? He's saying this. Live holy apart from the world. Live holy. That's a responsibility. As a result of the fact that I've been saved, justified, because of what Christ has done for me already, and the fact that he's coming again, I need to live holy unto him apart from this world. That's what I need to do. Someone says, that's just impossible today. See, Jesus died, was buried, and what? Rose again. Wait a second. That seems pretty impossible, too. And he said he's coming back. That's pretty impossible, too. But he's going to. Just like he came the first time and kept his word, he'll keep it again. And you know what? There's all kinds of things that are impossible to do when it's us doing it. But if we'll let God live in and through us, Paul the Apostle said for me to live is Christ. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the great, by the, 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 and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the grace of the Son of God, which, I'm messing that up, which loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, I'll, I'll butcher it a little bit, but you get the idea. We're crucified with him. It's not our life anymore. It's his life in us. It's not what we can do for him. It's what he can do for us. Boy, isn't that a wonderful truth? So our responsibility is expressed, holy living apart from the Word of God. But also, in that verse 12, our reputation is exposed. We're going to be exposed for what we really are in this, second, this rapture of the church. We're to be living for Him. We're to be, be responsible to be holy and righteous. But then ultimately, our reputation is going to be exposed. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, the Bible says, But now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming, do you? I don't want to be doing things I shouldn't be doing when he shows. I, I mean, I, I, am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I struggle with things? Without a doubt. Do I tend to allow this flesh to have too much control? Too often. But boy, my heart is, I don't want to get caught disappointing my Savior. I don't want that to happen. And you know what? That's really the, should be each of our goals. All of us as believers, because he already came and because he already gave us salvation, because we know he's coming back, we need to live that life, that responsibility of holy living apart from the world. We need to make sure that our reputation is spotless and clean before a holy God. Yes, Not just before a world, but really more importantly before a holy God. But not only that, do we see to live for Christ, but also look for Christ. We need to be looking for Him. See, every day of our life, we need to consciously be aware that He could come any moment. That's what He would have us to do. In the book of 2 John, chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Look, excuse me, in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, I'm sorry. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Find watching. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness that, the, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Amen. 
<laughs> you don't have to be caught unaware and off guard. You don't have to. And neither do I. See, we have a responsibility, according to the Word of God, to live for Christ and to look for Christ. Every day of our life, we ought to think He could come back today. Every day of our life, when we wake up, we ought to think, this could be it. He could come again. Yes, we see some details. We note the duty. Let's just be honest. There are some doubters along the way. Don't let the doubters discourage you. God spoke about them over in the book of 2 Peter. We don't have time to look at it. But in chapter 3, we, we note there will be doubters. Where's the sign of his coming? Where's he at? Well, that sounds like Noah's day, doesn't it? And guess what? Maybe we're in the days of Noah again. That means he can come back any moment. I'm excited about that. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So we note the details. We're introduced to the duty of the believer. To live for Christ. To look for Christ. And finally, as we noted, the doubters, there's one more thing left. The decision. You and I have to make a decision for Christ first. But you know what? Sometimes in our midst, there's those that haven't even made that decision. I mean, you might be here today and you know about God. You were raised in a home that prayed even maybe. You were taught to go to church even. But you know, we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a personal, one-on-one relationship. Families don't go to heaven together. Listen, they don't. You go as individuals and you meet together as a family. It's an individual. It's a personal thing. And I want to encourage you, if you've never made a decision to put your faith and trust in what Christ did on Calvary by dying, being buried, and rising again, by shedding his precious blood, being broken on your behalf, if you've not trusted in him alone, not anything you could do, not anything you could ever... uh, attempt to do even but just said lord jesus i know i'm a sinner i know that there's a penalty for that sin and i realize that there's not one thing i can do in this old wicked heart of mine to earn your favor or to deserve your heaven but lord i'm begging you for your mercy i'm trusting you and only you to forgive me save me and take me to heaven i know you're the only way the truth and the life I know neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You are the only way. And Lord, I'm trusting you to get me there. You didn't have to say it quite like that, but you had to pray it in your heart and mean it to the Lord. Maybe you've never put your faith in him. You have a decision to make because he's coming back. And if he comes back before you make that decision, you'll be left behind. And you'll endure that tribulation period that's so haunting and daunting and so horrible as it's described in the book of Revelation. Don't want you to go through that, nor does God want you to. But let me tell you, you have to make a decision for Him. And as a child of God today, you have some decisions too. So do I. Will you wake up every day? He's coming back. It could be today. I'm going to live my life like He's coming back today. And I'm going to look for Him throughout the day. And every time I'm tempted to sin, to neglect... My Lord, I'm going to remember he could come back any moment. Just like that. 
I don't want to be ashamed of His coming. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be able to stand with confidence and know I did my best filled with His Spirit. Father, we come.